damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. Who used heart attack? Lee. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Trevor's Bomb Pro Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my winner. And during that stretch, when they won five games and lost three games, the games they lost, they scored zero, one, and three runs. A very good possibility to have Chris Bryant was on the Chicago. What's going on, everybody? Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, and by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, as we continue to renovate here, um, we're taking a big step as we started a painting process. A um, couple different things. We're going to go sans the banner today, but also we're going to... Um, just go at it for... 30 minutes. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves, World Series champions. Um, if I do have to get up to fix uh, the camera angle, I'll be happy to do that. Um, in the meantime, uh, I'm all yours. So what, what really happened within the Braves and the Astros and the reason that the Braves won and not the Houston Astros, it ha had to come down to something that I've been bitching and complaining about for an awful long time. I've been talking about the lack of interest in having a starting pitcher go any length in a game, particularly in a postseason setting. Now, I've prefaced everything I've said where I'm all with the analytics and I'm all with the numbers that are going to tell you that, hey, a fresh reliever at the apex or peak of his game is the best option for a given inning. And I go back in history and we talk about the World Series really over the last seven years. And the problem has been the overuse of relief pitchers. And that pretty much is correlating with the fact that the team that loses the World Series loses the World Series. And I think this happened to the Astros here. I think the Astros could have benefited from having Lance McCullers. Absolutely. I got no issue or, or beef or problem with that. If he was... And uh, if, if he was able to make two starts out of the six games in this World Series, I think, number one, the Astros would have a little bit of a better chance to win. But number two, they would not have to rely on their relief pitchers as much as they did. Christian Javier was clearly gassed, you know, in the last two appearances that we saw out of him in the World Series. And, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons that the Astros didn't come up here. Pretty similar to 2019. Well, Will Harris who was all-world at the time, was overused in the postseason, which led to the World Series. And the Braves win it in Game 6 because they have the the gall, the fortitude, the trust in Max Freed, who they gave him the ball. He's their ace. He goes out there and he goes six innings. And listen, I, I, I never thought that I'd be in a spot where I'd be waxing poetic about a pitcher going six innings in a baseball game. But that put the Braves in an incredible position. A, a position where they didn't have to go to A.J. Minter, who was starting to reap the negative benefits of being overused over a long period of time. And they saved Luke Jackson. They 
could have probably put Will Smith in a position that he could have pitched Game 7 if it was necessary. And the Braves were up by six, seven runs. It, it seems very simple. And listen, I'm not on a soapbox talking about something that's so basic, trying to explain it in a way that I don't think you understand. But the World Series over the past seven years, the teams that have won the World Series as opposed to the teams that have lost the World Series, the teams that have won have found other ways other than going to the same relief pitcher in every single game. I talk about the Red Sox in 2018, how they used their starters. Same thing with the Nationals in 2019. You know, the Dodgers. The Dodgers this year as opposed to the Dodgers last year, well, I think they got a little too cute this year. They thought that they could play these bullpen games and they were not factoring in. And I don't know if it's an analytic thing. I don't know if these computer-generated algorithms that are determining which pitchers to go to at each time don't factor in fatigue. Maybe they don't factor in a pitcher being tired from pitching five straight games. Because how many times does a relief pitcher pitch five straight games over the course of the regular season? The playoffs, you say, hey, it's the playoffs. It's like you heard me last week talking about the Stanley Cup and talking about hockey. Oh, well, it's the cup. You know, we'll, do, we'll do everything. We'll go all out. In the end, teams that have faith in their starters to go deeper with them, teams that have faith in their starters to use them as relievers, teams that have a deep enough bullpen to not run the same guys out there game after game after game. And listen, that's number one reason why the Astros didn't win. Number two is, I don't know what happened to their bats. I don't know what happened to Alex Bregman. I mean, I'm not going to blame him for the whole World Series, but he, he from an offensive standpoint, he was a no-show. The Astros got the best offense in all Major League Baseball. And listen, I never looked at the Braves as that dominant of a pitching staff. This was not the, the 1990s Braves with Greg Maddox and John Smoltz and Tom Glavin. This was a, a, a team that had some depth but lost the depth because Charlie Morton got hurt in game one. You know, they had a couple relievers that they relied on that they probably went to a little too many times. But in the end, it was the faith in Max Freed. You know, not pulling Max Freed in a second inning. Now I get it. Luis Garcia, Dusty Baker, the Astros. You're looking at Garcia on short rest. And you're thinking Dusty Baker maybe felt like he left him in one too many batters. Maybe. But, you know, the plan to just go to your relievers and parade them in there, knowing that, hey, if you win, you're going to have to do it again. At some point, you need to get some length from somebody. And I thought one of the turning points from the Astros was pulling Zach Greinke out of, after four innings. And what was it, game four of the World Series? Four shutout innings? You're talking about a veteran pitcher that has almost 220 career wins. Certainly isn't his first postseason. He's throwing a ball well. You could have probably pushed them through a fifth and sixth inning and maybe saved your relievers. The Astros chose not to do that. The other part is the destiny aspect of the Atlanta Braves. And I think it all start, started with the commissioner in Major League Baseball making a decision to move the All-Star game out of Atlanta. Basically a slap in the face to the Braves organization, a slap in the face to Henry Aaron, one of the greatest baseball players of all time who just recently passed away. It would have been a great chance, shot, opportunity to honor him. Yes, they tried to do that in the World Series. They tried to do that in the Home Run Derby. It wasn't the same. You had a game scheduled to be played in Atlanta 
and he did nothing for the Atlanta Braves fans. They were set for that All-Star game. It got taken away. It didn't even get rescheduled. It wasn't like, hey, we'll have it played the next day, next year, in 2021 or 2022. No. You just give it to Colorado. Just a lousy job by Major League Baseball. And the Braves, in the end, kind of, you know, end up getting through it, have the national spotlight because the World Series is being played in their building. And in the end, they're the last one standing, celebrating on the field. When you talk about being a team of destiny, you're going to look back at the trading deadline. And many teams that were competing with the Atlanta Braves did not do what the Atlanta Braves did. A week before the trading deadline, they traded for Jock Peterson. At the trading deadline, they got themselves Eddie Rosario, they got themselves Adam Duvall, and they got themselves Jorge Soler. The Braves don't go anywhere in the playoffs without those four players. Jock Peterson got them through the division series. Adam Duvall led the National League and runs batted in. Probably got them through the regular season. You talk about Soler in the World Series, Rosario in the League Championship Series. I mean, you, you couldn't have put it together. I don't think anybody would have predicted that those players would have done what they did for the Atlanta Braves. And good for them. You know, Duvall's been a rising player. He's been a power hitter for the last several years. Eddie Rosario, I've spoken about before. I think he was a, a great glue type of player with the Minnesota Twins. I think there's a correlation from the decision by the Twins to non-tender him to the fact that the Twins lost 89 games this year and all of a sudden are out of the playoff race. And Eddie Rosario obviously is out there doing great things for the Braves. And if I'm the Braves, I'm looking to, to keep these players around. I'm looking to assign Eddie Rosario with Jorge Soler. And, and I get it. You know, you got Marzell Ozuna, who at some point you know, baseball's going to have to make a decision on. He's under contract with the Braves at some point. The, the league's going to have to say, hey, all right, we're going to suspend you for this amount of time. But when that suspension's over, he's going to have to come back, be part of the Braves. Listen, if I'm Atlanta, I'm making believe Marzell Ozuna isn't coming back. Obviously, you're talking about one of the best players in the game in Ronald Acuna, who ended up missing half of this season. And it's amazing at the you know from the beginning of the year saying the Braves were going to win the World Series and not do it with any help from Acuna in the postseason in the second half of the year. But I look back at it, the Braves, who are now five-time World Series champions, 1892, 1914, 1957, 1995, and now 2021. Congratulations to that. Congratulations to the manager who was named interim manager when he took over for Freddie Gonzalez to finish the season. Braves stuck with him. Alex Anthopoulos, like I said, to make those moves at the trading deadline to bring in those hitters when they needed to do it. They needed to strengthen their offense when they were, what, four or five games behind in the standings, trailing the Mets. Good for them. And as the Braves get set for an offseason, well, they're going to have to see which type of players do you retain here. Maybe Duvall is a player that maybe doesn't fit you know, with Acuna and Soler and Rosario. Maybe Jock Peterson can get a better deal from somewhere else. All different things that have to be considered. You already brought Charlie Morton back for next year. You already brought Travis Darno back for next season. And good for, good for the Braves. I like the fact that they're appreciating the players they have and they want to make these decisions before these players go out on the open market and maybe get an offer they can't refuse. If I'm the Braves, I like where they're going forward. But here's where we get into cliche. Here's where we get into rhetorics when we talk about sports teams that just win a championship. 
We expect them to be the, at the pinnacle of the sport, which they are. When they're on, on that field and they got that trophy and they're wearing those shirts and everything says World Series champions. Let's stay away from the how we create our team after the Braves model. The Braves went at it, won themselves a World Series championship. Their fans, the players, the entire organization, everybody that's associated with the Atlanta Braves should be proud. There's no Atlanta Braves model. You know, some team's going to go out there and get three outfielders and, and a pitcher like Dick Rod at the trading deadline next year and think that they're going to do the same thing as the Atlanta Braves. The Braves are the perfect example of that, let's make another hockey reference, that hot goalie that just isn't letting anything go by them. That's what the Braves are. Second thing I wanted to bring up, and I have to talk about this because I brought this up on the show before, but you know, I think the more I read and follow Scottie Pippen's book, Unguarded, the more disappointed I am at Scottie Pippen. And I look back at Scottie Pippen as a basketball player, and he really was a lot of people's heroes in the 1990s. Now, I get that Michael Jordan gets all the attention, all the acclaim. And all things that you hear really kind of ticked Scottie Pippen off and were reasons why he, he over time is, is getting bothered and more bothered by this. And he finally feels the need to have to get all this out in the book. And you, you find out that he hates Michael Jordan. You find out that he's basically on the outside trying to run a coup, you know, basically saying this guy treats us like crap, you know, screw him. Man, I tell you, Scottie Pippen let a lot of people down and I don't think he even realizes it. This isn't my spot to go dump on Scottie Pippen, but I look back as a fan like thousands and thousands of other people were in the 1990s. Maybe not necessarily rooting for the Bulls, maybe not necessarily rooting for Michael Jordan, but acknowledging how great and how dominant Jordan was at that time. And while that's all true, we looked at Scottie Pippen, a player that was a great all-around player, was a scorer, was a passer, was a rebounder, was a defensive player, played the game right. And you know what? If Scottie Pippen was on his own team, he'd be the lead star. And you talk about him as one of the best players of all time. When the NBA announced their dream team for the 1992 season, Scottie Pippen wasn't left off of it. Scottie Pippen was given the respect that he deserves as one of the top basketball players at that time. And you're talking about a golden age of basketball when you're talking about the backdrop of guys like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. To be in that same stratosphere as them and Jordan and all those other players on that dream team should have spoken enough to Scottie Pippen about what he was and what he represented in the sport at the time. Problem is, he didn't see it that way. He let a lot of anger and hostility build up inside him as if and if you follow the last dance, yeah, you can see it kind of builds up over time. You hear, you know, the episode that's dedicated to Scotty, and it talks about um, his upbringing and the multi, you know, the many siblings he had in his household, and the fact that they had no money, and the fact that he had to take the contract that Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause gave to him, basically making an agreement he's not going to renegotiate. He needed the money. And he sits as one of 
the lower pl paid players in the NBA and certainly pound for pound the lowest paid player in the National Basketball Association. He lets it bother him. And he probably builds animosity towards Jordan. And, and, and you know what? I don't have an issue with any of that. If Michael Jordan and his cocky attitude and the way that he kind of you know, treats his teammates, I'm sure his, his other teammates, I don't think a lot of what Scottie Pippen said was wrong when he said, hey, you know, I'm not the only one that looked at Michael and, and just despised the way he treated us as we did everything we, can, we, we could to help him. That last year in 1998, the decision being made to allow that camera crew to film that whole season didn't resonate well with a lot of the players. A lot of the players said, hey, we're part of the team, but they understood that this was about Michael and Michael was controlling all the editorial content in it. They didn't have much of a say. They also didn't get paid a dime for it. So while all these reasons point to Scottie Pippen being upset and it being understood why he should be pissed off. He decided to come out and make this all about him. And nobody looks at Scottie Pippen as a lesser player for anything that he said. Nobody looks at Scottie Pippen as a lesser player because he played with Michael Jordan. If you're a solid NBA basketball fan, you understand that Scottie Pippen was just as good as any player in the game at that time, was a star, was a winning player. And you know what? Got an opportunity later on after Jordan left to lead the Bulls. Bulls didn't go nuts after Michael Jordan left. They said, hey, we got another star player in Scottie Pippen. And Pippen had a chance. You know, that year and a half where Jordan decided he wanted to try baseball out was an opportunity for Pippen to transcend his game and become the star of that team, and maybe make it to a point where, hey, maybe maybe they question whether or not they want to accept Michael Jordan back, which is hard to do, because still, in the history of basketball, there was never a player as dominant as Michael Jordan. And you could say best basketball player of all time, you could talk about Kareem, you could talk about Wilt Chamberlain, George Mikan, anybody that you want to bring up, which would be great dialogue, they're going to be below Michael Jordan. There's nobody that dominated the sport like MJ did. But Pippen had a chance. So when Jordan walks away, Pippen has a chance. He decides to get all bitter when the shot's not called for him. That was probably one of the worst decisions he ever made. Two bad decisions. One of them he acknowledged, you know, trying to call Phil Jackson a racist. After he heard that back and realized how stupid that sounded, he took it back. But for him to decide that he wasn't going to go out on the floor and play and, and when the shot wasn't going to him, how many times did Michael Jordan not have the last shot? Now, Scotty may have believed that Jordan had the ball in his hands a lot. He may have believed that he was Jordan at that time. But the fact that the ball was not supposed to go to him was not a reason to act like a seething, crying baby which is what he did. He, he decided he wasn't going to go out on the court. Kukoc hit the shot anyway. And the problem, you know, exists where all of a sudden Scottie Pippen lost the trust of his teammates. Michael Jordan might have been despised by his teammates, but on a basketball court, never lost the trust of any of them. 
You know, Horace Grant may not have liked them. B.J. Armstrong may not have liked them. Some of the players may have looked at Jordan as pompous and as arrogant as he was. And they're probably right. But the players that played with Michael Jordan never lost respect for Michael, the basketball player on the court. And Pippen deciding to not be on the court for that last play in that playoff game is something he'll probably never live down. But you look at you know, he looks at this now, and maybe maybe he does. He he puts this book together. It's his time to talk. I don't know what he's looking to accomplish here. And that's probably what's the most frustrating part for me as a Scottie Pippen fan. And I'm not telling you that I'm not going to be a Scottie Pippen fan anymore. He's a great player, a Hall of Famer, deserves to be ranked where he is as one of the 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 top players in the history of the National Basketball Association. Maybe not top 10, maybe not top 20, maybe somewhere in the top 30s, which I'm cool with. Did, did he lose a lot of legitimacy as great as he was because he played with Jordan? I think I think it's about a 50-50 thing. I think Jordan took away some of the attention from how great of a player Scottie Pippen was, but I also think playing with Jordan made Scottie Pippen that much better. And I don't know if Scottie Pippen ever acknowledged that. And this is the last point I'm going to make about this because I think this is the most important point. I don't think Scottie Pippen appreciated what Michael and his star stature was able to do and propel Scottie's game. Now, can Scottie be a Hall of Famer? Could Scottie have been an all-time great? Could he have been in the same category as we put him right now without Michael Jordan? I'm going to tell you, I believe he could have. But Jordan made it that much easier for him. The attention that was put on Michael Jordan to beat the Bulls in a playoff series allowed Scotty to start. And like I said, did he have the talent? Did he have Hall of Fame talent? Absolutely. And I'll never take that away from Scottie Pippen. But he doesn't seem like he appreciated anything that Jordan brought to the game. Now listen, I get pompousness, arrogance. You can't be a legend. You can't be a star. You can't be the best of the best if you don't believe that you are. If you're not pompous and arrogant and full of yourself. I get it. I have part of that in me because I strive to be the best. So I don't have an issue with Pippen basically trying to say, hey, I could have won without Michael. As, as silly as a foolish as that sounds, Pippen may have been in the shadows of Jordan, which I don't think he wanted to be. But part of Scottie Pippen being a Hall of Famer and an all-time great was because of what Michael Jordan brought to the table. Last thing I wanted to talk about, you hear the World Series and there's always a lot of discussion in postseasons, whether it's basketball, football. You know, how, how do leagues market their stars? You know, in baseball, the example is a Mike Trout. You know, why, why doesn't John Q. Public, the average and ordinary person that knows very little about baseball, think about the sport as synonymous with somebody like Mike Trout? Is it because Mike Trout's not polarizing? You want to compare Mike Trout in his prime to Alex Rodriguez in his prime? You know, A-Rod had that polarizing element to him. You know, Barry Bonds before him, uh, you know, had the steroids issues, but, you know, hit so many home runs. Mike Trout is loved by the baseball analytic community because of wins above replacement, because of OPS plus, uh, weighted runs created, all numbers that you put together and you realize he ranks amongst the best 
of all time. Is that part of the reason baseball has a hard time marketing Mike Trout? Ronald Acuna, would have been a great opportunity for the Braves to be able to market him, baseball to be able to market him, but he was hurt. So you understand why more casual baseball fans don't know about Ronald Acuna. But what makes it so easy for football? I think there I don't think there's a position in baseball that is as powerful as a National Football League quarterback. And I want you to listen a couple minutes as I talk about this. We discuss the importance of a quarterback in the National Football League on a day in and day out basis. You can't talk about a game or an ability for a team to win on a given Sunday without talking about the importance of a team's given quarterback. Yes, there is a lack of depth when it comes to star quarterbacks, but very few times in the Super Bowl era can you point to a team that won the Super Bowl and said, hey, they won it in spite of their quarterback. Star quarterback is identified by everybody, not just the diehard football fan, not just the fantasy football player, but the casual football fan understands the importance of the quarterback in the National Football League. Who is the quarterback of the baseball team? Because two names that go out there when we're talking about positions have kind of been watered down over the last series of years. You heard me talk about the Major League Baseball manager. Obviously, it's nowhere near parallel to the NFL head coach. And I'm not going to go into my rant. I'm not going to give you my my John Pielli top five and give you the reasons why a Major League Baseball manager has basically been castrated from the position they had before. But the other one would be starting pitcher. You think of some of the great starting pitchers of all time. Sandy Koufax, you know, back in time, Pete Alexander, Christy Mathewson. But obviously more, more recent within the last 50 years, Steve Carlton, Tom Seaver. Even Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox. The starting pitcher, you've, you've seen change and a role change from what it was before. We glorify five, six innings. A baseball team cannot win a game just because or based off of the strength of their starting pitcher. There's a couple of them out there. You know, a healthy Jacob DeGrom is probably the closest thing. But you watch the postseason. But before the postseason, you watch teams as they were getting set to play in the postseason. And they did it with the strength of their bullpen. That closer, which we like to say, hey, Mariano Rivera is a star of the game. Baseball teams don't win just because of a good closer. You could win in spite of a, a bad closer. You need to have a seventh inning closer, an eighth inning closer, a ninth inning closer. And with that, I'm quoting the great Billy Wagner who said that. So when you're trying to identify a star, they don't play a particular position in baseball. A star outfielder, somebody that hits a certain amount of home runs. You're looking at the best home run hitter striking out 200 times in a season. You're trying to say who would be identified as the poster child of Major League Baseball. And I think for all those reasons, it's very hard for baseball to not be able to market its stars. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the PBS today. We will do another show as we get close to the rest of the week. I'll have my banner up. We'll have some of the walls painted. 
Like I said, anything on your mind in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, shoot my way. You could tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. You could comment on Facebook or YouTube, whatever. Email me at jrpielli at gmail.com. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.